0: Amen. Thanks for being here this morning uh, at our church and and uh, being a part of this. Um, I'm uh, uh, excited that today is our first cloudy day because it means more of you will be at church now. So that's, yeah, you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm. I'm actually. Uh, I love summertime in Outward Church. Uh, in Outward Church uh, and in the world as well. Um, but uh, summertime is uh, a great time for me. I love um, being outside and all of that. But I'm also thankful for this. Uh, I really. It's one of our first cloudy days this fall, and so it's good to be around um, that this morning. So this morning we're starting a new series called Jesus Saves. And it's based on the book of Colossians. And so you can turn to the book of Colossians. Well, we're talking about Jesus saves and we're picking up the theme of how Jesus saves us through Colossians. In the past, we might have gone through every detail of a book. And this time, we're going to spend about uh, seven weeks, I believe, um, going through the book of Colossians, picking up this theme of how Jesus saves us from uh, Satan, sin, death, and so forth. But the book of Colossians is interesting because uh, in Colossians, I'm sorry, in Colossae, the city, the church um, that was in Colossae, this, this letter was written to them. And essentially, what Paul is trying to get across to them is he's saying that Jesus is the only means for salvation, Jesus is our only means for connection with God, Jesus is the only way to God. But in Colossae, as in many cities even today, um, what happens is that there tends to be a lot of syncretism. Uh, By syncretism, I mean this, that there is a a little bit of this religion and and that philosophy and, and these ideas and my personal feelings that all go into what make me into what I would call a spiritual person. And so there's many people who would say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious, and my spirituality comes from a lot of different things that like Jesus, he's got some good teaching and, and the philosophy has some, some good teaching and there, there are all these various aspects of life um, that I learn from and that, that teach me and, and, and so forth. But what Paul is trying to get across is that Jesus is the only means for salvation. Jesus saves and philosophy doesn't. Jesus saves and angelic beings don't. Jesus saves and just... Spirituality doesn't. Jesus saves and not a strict adherence to this specific diet or what have you that you could enter into. But there were people, it is believed in Colossae during this time, based on what Paul has to say to the church in Colossae, uh, there are people there who are uh, bringing in all of these other teachings. These false teachers are bringing in all sorts of things. It's something that we deal with, as I'm saying, uh, even today, that we have to be careful of, of what we bring into the church. But primarily, what we want to talk about is we want to see the theme of how Jesus saves us from all of these different aspects. And Paul is going to lay out this case, first theologically and in and, and more broad terms, but then he's going to go into more specific terms as we go on. Let me read the passage for us this morning, which says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, this is Colossians 1.1, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now this passage has several different themes that we could really pick up on. What I want to look at this morning is this idea of the domain of darkness, how Jesus saves us from darkness. Have you ever asked yourself this question uh, where you might say, what is wrong with the world today? what is wrong with people? What is, what is wrong with them? I mean, what, what, what is wrong with all of these people and the things that they do, the problems that they have? I just read an article this week about a, a pastor in Alabama who'd used his position to sleep with the women in his congregation. He used his position in order to uh, mismanage funds. He used his position and when it was finally brought to light, he still won't step down and I believe he may still be in the pulpit today. What's wrong with people? What is going on? How could somebody abuse their power in such a way? There's a article that was just uh, released, I believe it was this last week, I could not find a date on it, um, but I believe it was just recently uh, from USA Today, Entitled this, 40,000 suicides annually, yet America simply shrugs. And the article says this, Americans are far more likely to kill themselves than each other. Hear that. Far more likely to kill themselves, their self, than another person. Homicides have fallen by half since 1991, but the U.S. suicide rate keeps climbing. Nearly 40,000 American lives lost each year make suicide the nation's 10th leading cause of death and the second leading killer for those ages 15 to 34. The second leading cause of death from ages 15 to 34, meaning uh, murder, car accident, health problems, all of those things... You you are the second most leading cause of death is suicide for that age bracket. Each suicide costs society about $1 in medical and lost work expenses and emotionally victimizes an average of 10 other people. What's striking to me about this article is that it's talking about how people are killing themselves, yet the thing that the article notes is this is what it's costing us. The narcissism is palpable in our society, but that's not what this is about. What this is about is what's wrong with the world? Why why does somebody get to this place, and to be sure, some of you have been in this place? How do we get to this place? What's wrong with the world that would cause us to come to that place where we'd say, I just want to end my life? There was a song uh, a few years back from Smashing Pumpkins called uh, Disarm and the lead singer, his name is Billy Corgan and one article says this, Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins wrote the song Disarm about a fantasy of severely hurting his parents, I'm going to edit this a little bit for younger ears, because he hated them, he, ate, he hated the fact that they brought him into this world, which is full of hate and all he wants is to be loved. And so Billy Corgan says this, he says, the reason I wrote disarm was because I didn't have the guts to mortally wound my parents. So I thought I'd get back at them through song and rather than have an angry, 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 violent song, I thought I'd write something beautiful and make them realize what tender feelings I have in my heart and make them feel really, really bad for treating me like an expletive. Disarm, the song Disarm is hard to talk about because people will say to me, I listen to that song and I can't figure out what it's about. But Corrigan says, it's about things that are beyond words. I think you can conjure up images and put together phrases but it's a feeling beyond words for me. It has a lot to do with a sense of loss. Being an adult and looking back and romanticizing a childhood that never happened or went by so quickly in a naive state that you miss it. And The article says this, Billy Corgan wanted to be loved, but life and society seemed to give him violent thoughts. Billy Corgan expressed his dark thoughts via writing a song. What is wrong with the world? What's wrong with people? I think Billy Corgan says it best when he says this in that same song. He says, the killer in me is the killer in you. There's, and who knows exactly what he was thinking when he wrote that. It seems like what he was saying was this. That I've got a problem in me, and it's the same problem in my parents. The problem in me is that I'm creating these issues in, in my life and my parents created issues in my life and it causes me to be an angry person. It causes me to be somebody who wants to harm others. There, there are numerous, numerous examples uh, throughout our society and throughout the world today of absolute darkness and depravity. Of people that are, that are just destitute and who are being wounded. Sexually victimized, people who are in the midst of desperate circumstances. This world is broken and there is something wrong with it. And the, and the question is, what is wrong with it? This article from USA Today is going through and it's saying, America simply shrugs at the idea that 40,000 Americans will kill themselves this year. But America doesn't seem to put any money into this. And they're talking about how we've put money into these things and into those things. But the thought process is that people are just, if they've determined to do it, they're just going to do it. But it's arguing for the case of this, which is more money needs to be put into research so that we can figure out what's wrong with society or with people so that we can change this. And so the thought process is, is that we, if we could understand mental illness better, if we can understand mental illness, if we can understand what's, what's going on in someone's head who is suffering from mental illness, then perhaps that would change. But here's the problem. Mental illness is common to all of mankind, but yet the suicide rate is drastically higher in the United States. So what's wrong with us? The richest nation in the world, the most developed country in the world perhaps, in many cases, this, this country, which should have everything, yet it's not even suffering so much from killing each other, even though that is also an issue when you look at the number of shootings and so forth, but it's more of an issue of ending our own lives. It's more of an issue of the, the anger expressed towards other people, and it's, it's this issue that's growing and growing, and people are saying, it's, it's really just about mental illness or it's about... Uh, having the right prescription or it's about having the right set of friends. But here's the thing is that Christianity, the Bible has the answer that no one wants to hear. Christianity has the answer to this. And we could look to philosophy and we could look to all other types of religions, but Christianity is the one that claims this, that all other things will fail you. All other things will fail you because of this. In Genesis chapter 3, it details the fall of mankind. And it happens in this way. It happens through man and woman deciding to do this. To build their identity on something other than God. What's that mean? It means this. It means to find myself... To create a self, to become somebody, to make something of of myself outside of something other than God. If you know the scriptures at all, and I know that there's many of us here that don't uh, know every story, and that's okay, but it essentially says this. Satan comes to the woman and says, "You, you will not die if you partake of that fruit, because God knows that you will be like him knows that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's this idea that I'm gonna create my own self in and of myself. I'm gonna make something of myself and and I am going to become something of my own making. I'm I'm gonna become this person that creates my own self but here's the ultimate problem with that is that when you make something other than God, even if it's a good thing, the ultimate thing, what happens is this, is that that thing becomes a standard by which you live by. You create a set of rules that say this, that it, as long as I meet this standard, as long as I, as I achieve this goal, as long as I make it to this place in life, as long as these things don't happen, as long as my children grow up to be uh, this, type of, this type of person or these type of people, as long as I get the promotion and as long as I have the relationship. As long as my marriage stays together and as long as, and as long as, and as long as things are going to go good. But what you don't understand is this, is that you're creating a law. You create a law for yourself. And people oftentimes say that God is, is mean for creating these laws. And, and, and Christianity is really all about just keeping a bunch of rules. But ultimately, the, the truth is this. Is that Christianity is about making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. But ultimately, when we try to make a self of our own, of our own making, what happens is this, is that we make a Lord out of something else. And then that becomes the thing that is our Lord. We create a set of rules or commandments, if you will. that say, as long as I keep these commandments, things will be okay. But what happens when I break one of those commandments, the truth is that As Tim Keller says in his book, The Reason for God, and probably every book that he's written, he says this, your job can't forgive you. Your job can't forgive you. Your relationship can't forgive you. People can try to forgive you. But if you've created a standard that says, as long as I meet these particular waypoints, if you've created that standard, if you miss that, it can't forgive you. It can't forgive you. And at the end of the day, what happens is this. Is that there's an ultimate letdown in your life, and the ultimate letdown leads you to taking your life. It leads you to ultimate despair. It's not the only place it leads, but it leads you to ultimate despair. I'm having a conversation with uh, with somebody on on Facebook over the last probably been a year. They send me a question occasionally, and then I I respond and, and I. I don't know exactly where they're at in their, in their spiritual walk, but I, I have some guesses. But ultimately what they're asking is this, is that where, where does uh, you know, guilt and, and shame and all of these things come from and, and, and what, is, what does this mean? And what she's asking is she's saying, I, you know, I, have this, I have this issue where I have this guilt and I have these things that are, that are falling through and what does this have to do with religion? Well, what this has to do with religion... What this has to do with God is this is that you are already creating a standard for yourself to live by and it's a merciless standard and people ultimately lead themselves to either pride or despair you'll lead yourself either to pride or to despair and so when we talk about, okay, we just need to address mental illness and then we'll have less shootings in our schools, or we need to address mental illness and then we'll, we'll have less suicide, or we, need to, or we need more drugs, or we need more psychology, or all those things. Don't hear me saying that those are not even God-given gifts to diagnose someone who has a deficiency in one particular area. But I think you can also, I definitely believe you can over diagnose those things. And you can miss the point completely to the, to the degree that you are merely treating the symptoms of a greater disease, which is this, I've built myself on something other than the Creator. I've built myself, I've built my thing, I've built my job and my career, uh, which are normally the same thing but um and my relationships and uh need a thesaurus in my head right now job uh relationships or whatever I've built my life on these things and what happens is when I fail them they don't forgive me and so I end up in this place like Billy Corgan which is a very dark place and you could say well there's There's, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. His parents mistreated him. His parents built their life on something other than God. And what that caused was for them to mistreat their son. And now Billy Corgan has built his life on something other than God and commiserating in the midst of all of his pain and all of his suffering and what it's led him to is despair. And he's saying he, he, he didn't write a, a really, really, really violent song, but really, really, really it is a violent song when you know the meaning behind it. What's the answer to this that Jesus brings us? How does Jesus save us from the domain of darkness? And what does that even mean? The domain of darkness is all of those things. The domain of darkness is, is, is all of these things, and it, it, it includes... Uh, spiritual darkness it includes spiritual forces and authorities ultimately what we'd say is this is that Satan is the perpetuator of these things but in addition to this what we have in us is that we have a killer in us that is causing us to act in these ways that is perpetuating darkness and perpetuating darkness so the ultimate end of our life ends up with despair How does Jesus fix that? How does Jesus bring us hope and comfort and peace? Well, three things that I want to get to here from the end of the passage. He says in verse 12, uh, let's go to verse 11. He says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks To the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now this idea of the domain of darkness means this, the domination of darkness. Darkness is dominating you can say this, I'm a very moral person and so I push off these ideas or these things and so I'm not really affected by the domain or the domination of darkness. Darkness doesn't dominate me, but here's the thing. Many people believe that somehow that they're not affected by this, but the truth is that when your morality fails you, when your standard fails you, when, when you have a standard that says I am meeting these needs in my life or the needs of the people around me or, the, or my perceived needs or what God wants in my life, what happens is this, is that when you fail that, yourself was built on your morality. Yourself was built on your ability to do good things. And so ultimately what's going on in your life is that you are also dominated by darkness because darkness is the result of a life filled with sin, which is ultimately building myself, creating an identity on anything other than God himself to have another God before him. That's what that means. So the domination of darkness, the control of darkness, the authority of darkness, the jurisdiction of darkness. When I was, uh, A teenager I was late for church and I I was going to church in Kaiser and I was uh, living in South Salem at the time and I had my 1972 Ford pickup that had a 400 uh, VA in it and it was uh, pretty fast and in between South Salem and Kaiser on Sunday morning was my racetrack right and so I would just cruise downtown I'd hang a left uh, come around actually right down through here anyway, um, my normal routine coming through downtown just like at every stoplight just rah, You know just to the floor um, Just going all the way out and then finally I get out to the parkway this day And I'm heading down the parkway and all of a sudden I see Salem PD behind me Ah oh, dang you know So he pulls me over I, I don't know if you notice a lot of my stories include the police And uh, that is uh, that's becoming less so, all right? <laughs> it actually, yeah, it's been, it's been a while, so. I won't tell you how long, because then you'll judge me. Darkness. Um, so he stops me, and, uh, and he says, do you know how long I've been following you? I, I have no idea. He says, I've been trying to catch up with you since downtown. And, and, and I was like, Oh, really? You know, (laughs) what do you say? Uh, And uh, he said, I would write you a ticket now, but I'm out of my jurisdiction. (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, I should do this more often, right? (laughs) Like, I didn't realize if I just drove fast enough that something else would happen. I I don't even know if that's true anymore. I I don't know. I'm pretty sure I would not have the same result today, but... Uh, I got out of a ticket, that's all that matters, that day. Um, Slap on the wrist. Out of that jurisdiction. Under the jurisdiction of darkness. It says here that he has delivered us from the jurisdiction of darkness. That we live in this city that is filled with darkness. And I'm not just talking about those people out there or just Salem as a whole. I mean, it's a pretty tame city if you ask me. Uh, But I'm talking about us, me, we. Before knowing Jesus, we're living under the jurisdiction of darkness. And what's happening is this, it's more than a ticket, but it ultimately leads to despair. It leads you to building a life on something other than God. The domain of darkness means this, that we're underneath this rule and this reign and this authority. And ultimately what takes place is that we're lost and we're in despair. And there's no psychology, there's no philosophy, there's no amount of medication there's no amount of just doing good things or becoming a higher society because we, we, we think we are the pinnacle of all societies. We think we are, at least in the world along with quite a few other nations, the most civilized that's ever been. But really the world's falling apart and we are too. So we're under this domain, this dominion, this jurisdiction of darkness. And so what has to happen? He says this, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, which for me was Kaiser that day. Transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Now what does that mean? Because I got to be honest with you, when we start talking about kingdom. I kind of get lost. I'm not really into the whole British thing or anything like that. And so it's like, what is this this idea of kingdom, and what does it mean? One commentator says this, kingdom is the domain in which God is king, where his rule and desires are carried out and enforced. That the domain of darkness is, is just, this just is darkness. But Jesus has a kingdom. And when he comes into your life, what takes place is this, is that he rules and that he reigns and that he's over all things and that he enforces and that he creates. And so the question is this, is that are you in the domain of darkness and under its rule and under its authority, have you built your life on anything but God himself? Or have you been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son with Jesus as your king, who's the one who's saving you, that he is the ultimate aim and the ultimate goal and the ultimate everything in your life? Is he your savior or do you have another Lord and savior? Is he your savior or do you have multiple lords and saviors in your life Because I want to tell you That it is very easy to have another Lord and Savior It's 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 very easy to go in and out of despair because You've had this goal you've had this thing in mind and When something doesn't happen the way that you want it to There's ultimate despair I've seen it in, play out in my own life where I've had goals and I've had visions of things that I wanted to see happen, but what ends up taking place is that I, I, I'm very driven and I'm going towards that goal and I want to see that happen, but then I come to this point someday where I realize I failed that goal. I failed that goal and I, and I didn't make it to where I wanted to. And what happened was this, was ultimate despair. Not to the point of wanting to take my life, but to the point of coming to this thought of, what am I doing? What's happening with me? What do I really want in life? And you know what, that's a really critical point. Because there's an opportunity to get off of your highway and to get onto God's highway. And if you, if you decide to stay on this path with yourself, the next thing that will take place is you'll just trade for a new savior. You trade for a new savior and you say, you know what, this isn't doing it and so I'm going to change my direction. <coughs> My ideal in my marriage wasn't met in whatever way, so I'm going to change my morals. My idol was my marriage, I'm going to change my morals, I'm going to change everything about me and I'm going to create a new life and a new savior and that's going to be something else, perhaps relationship outside of my marriage. Perhaps I'm I'm, going to take my focus off of uh, my marriage and I'm going to transfer it to my job or I'm going to transfer it to my kids and I'm going to work on that or I'm going to transfer it to my schooling. And so that becomes my new idol. But if if you're wise, it's talking about all all knowledge, all wisdom. If you're wise, what's going to happen is this, is that you're going to, make a beeline for that exit like I did in Steve Brown's truck when I borrowed it last weekend and didn't quite make the exit but I did go over the median he's got a four by four and he's not here so uh, he'll find out later but um, you've got to get off on that exit you've got to turn off and you got to say okay I'm I'm done with creating a new center in my life that's going to be based on me and my ultimate goals. It's going to be based on me creating my life because all that does is create darkness in my life and in the life of others. The alienation of my marriage brings disillusion with my kids. The alienation of uh, what my other relationships brings brings further darkness with them as I take my focus And I say, I'm no longer concerned about you or the things that are happening here. And I'm transferring it to something else. Or I'm going to medicate myself and I'm going to use and abuse drugs or alcohol or whatever. I'm going to get involved in porn. I'm going to get involved in all kinds of things. And all it does is perpetuate darkness in my life. But Jesus has an off-ramp. And the off-ramp is this. The kingdom of his beloved son. The kingdom of his beloved son. And what is on that off-ramp? What is there? He, He says here, he says, In transferred us to, so we're coming from the domain of darkness. There's a new stop, and that new stop is this. To the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Like I said, you may not buy into the idea of sin, but the truth is, You operate under the assumption that you're sinning against something every day. If you have another Lord and Savior, you sin against that Lord and Savior. Or you will. And when you sin against that Lord and Savior, the the truth is this. If it's another religion, if it's a relationship, if it's your job, if it's what your career again, uh, if it's anything of those other things, then what takes place is this. You're sinning against it. It cannot forgive you. It cannot forgive you. But Jesus' kingdom is not a domain, and it's not just an authority, and it's not just a jurisdiction, but it is the kingdom of Jesus, the beloved Son of God. And the beloved Son of God says this, that you have redemption. You have redemption. You've been rescued from the domain of darkness You've been rescued from that, and you've been transferred to and into Jesus' kingdom. And Jesus' kingdom says this, that he's buying you back. Because there's a million things that we've sold ourselves to. I'm sold out for all of these other things in my life. I'm sold out for tons of things. That will never die for me, and that will never forgive me. But Jesus is the only King. Who, if you fail Him, He will forgive you. And ultimately, He did die for you. Jesus is the only King who does that for you. Jesus is the only one. That's what the kingdom of God is. Is, is this? Is that it? it ushers in a new way of life in your life. You see what he said here. He said, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. What what takes place is this, is that when you've been brought from the... Dominion of darkness and you've been more than just from All of those empty works and all of those things that you're leaving behind and you're saying those are no longer my God Myself will be built on Jesus What happens is this is that what takes place is that you become a saint in light You become a saint who brings light into your world and you bring light into your neighborhood I have a couple of new neighbors and one of them might be here I'm not sure if they are but um, I like them so that's good Uh, (laughs) the other one I'm sure is not here and I also like them but there's a challenge And the battle that's going on in my head is this, is that I can respond this way in anger because of things that I won't go into. Or I can respond as a saint in light that says this, my domain, my little piece of property, my domain is under the rule and the reign of the kingdom Of God's beloved son and I am a saint in light and I am no longer beholden to the domination that darkness brings and I am a saint in light and so I no longer have to perpetuate the idea of darkness in my neighborhood outside of my door with someone who's just about a hundred feet from me I no longer have to do that and I get to be a saint in light to challenging people. The kingdom of God ushers in light into a dark world. And the question is this, is not whether you like Jesus. The question isn't, did you ask Jesus into your heart one day? The question isn't, do you attend church sometimes? The question is not whether you listen to Christian radio or whether you have Christian friends Whether you think Jesus is cool or any of those things, that is not the question. The question is this, are you under the jurisdiction of the domain of darkness or are you in Jesus' kingdom? Because what determines this is this, is Jesus your Lord and Savior or have you tried to find your identity in yourself and something other than God himself through Jesus Christ? Have you tried to create your own self apart from God? Because that will, that's what truly determines whether you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, you may have prayed a prayer, and you may like church, and you may all of those things, and you may be in the kingdom, but I want to tell you this, that that does not determine whether you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Because let's look at the beginning of the passage here, and I want to cover just a couple of things because I can't walk away from this without showing you just a few things. He's talking to Christians here, and he says to these Christians in verse 3, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thankfulness to God is a hallmark and is a characterization of somebody who truly knows God. It's not just about giving thanks to God, but it's, it's about a general thankfulness over your life that says, I owe you. What you've given to me is from you. The things that I have are from you. If you look in Romans chapter 1, verse 21, it says this, that they did not glorify God. They did not give thanks to God. That this ultimately is the root of sin. He says, we always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus, I should say. So there's faith, there's, there's trust, there's, there's daily looking to Jesus as being your savior and of the love that you have for all the saints. So there's faith, there's an acknowledgement of trust in Christ, but then beyond that, there's a love for all the saints. It's not just the people in little old outward church, but it's for all of the saints, it's for all of God's people. We don't need to be at odds with each other. But he says, this is what we're thanking Jesus Christ for, thanking God for, is that you have faith, but it is backed up with a love for all the saints. And I would argue for other people. Verse 5. And it says this, that faith and that love is based on something that is above and beyond you. It's not of you. You're not saying, okay, I've just got to believe I've just got to believe, or I really, really need to be loving, and so I'm going to be loving. No, the basis of your love for the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, verse 5. Do you see that you have hope in heaven? It's waiting for you. It's there. Is your hope in this, I mean, I, I think about this, and as I, we, uh, my wife, uh, Chris and I have four kids, and you, when you think about life insurance, when you think about end-of-life things, and you, you think to yourself, I don't want it to end. I went on a, a trip last weekend or the week, weekend before, and I think about those things. Like I want to make it back to my kids. I want to make it back to my wife. I want to enjoy life with them. But what Paul's saying here is that there's a different ethic, a a different thesis over your life, which says this, that my hope isn't just in my kids, and it's not just in my wife, and it's not in the things that I want, and it's not just wanting to live life. I want to live life. But, But Paul's saying this, that there's hope, there's a love that backs that up, but here's what's taking place is that There's there's this hope that's coming from what's waiting for me in heaven. There's a hope that's coming from, like, I want to see Jesus above all else because he is the giver of all good things, and I live under his domain and under his rule and under his reign, and he's the one that I'm after, and I'm not after the good life or the good relationship or the good job, but I want him and nothing else. The Christian life looks like this, there's faith, there's a love that you have for the saints, and ultimately there's hope in the midst of a dark world. There's hope in the midst of a dark world that you get to bring into your neighborhood. Now last thing, how does all this take place? How do you get this? How do you get Jesus? How do you get there? What do you need to do to clean yourself up to get to God? I just said, I just told a lie. Because that's what goes through our minds. What are the things that I need to do? What set of rules do I need to make? Here is perhaps one of the most beautiful statements in this passage. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Do you see what he just said there? He said, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Qualified means this to cause to be adequate to make sufficient to make confident to make capable to make you fit very simply stated it means this God is the one who causes me to measure up to his standard God is the one who has qualified me and he's qualified me to this incredible inheritance in the saints. It's an incredible inheritance that's above and beyond anything that I could ever ask or imagine. It is, it is so far beyond what I can uh, conjure up to think up. He's the one that qualified me. This means this, that when God looks at you, he doesn't say this, Matt, or insert your name in case you're confused here. Whatever your name is. And that's not real personally either, as I'm really screwing this up right now. God knows your name. He knows who you are. So he says, I know you, and there's nothing, there's zero, there's no amount of you qualifying yourself. What God is saying to you right now is that if you walk out with a list of things to do, then you miss the point. You miss the point completely because the point is this, it is God who has qualified you. It is God who has caused you to measure up and there's no amount of you trying to measure up because guess what? That's just building yourself on you still. That's just building a morality that's based on your own ability. All that is is creating something ultimate out of even seemingly good things, it's creating another God, and God just wants you to know this this morning. There's nothing that you can do, because He's the one that's qualified you. And the only thing He wants is this, is for you to revel in that. The inheritance in the saints, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? The inheritance in the saints. The hope that's laid up for you in heaven. The hope that He brings here today. That's not just ethereal and out there and and somewhere else, but the hope that He brings here today that may very well save your literal life because you're no longer hoping in something that will ultimately fail you. Jesus saves us from darkness. And the question is, has He saved you from darkness? Are you in the midst of darkness where you say, my hope has been built on on something else. My life has been built on something else. I've created a God and I've made something else ultimate in my life. Would you think about that right now? Have you made something ultimate in your life that isn't God? Is there something else in your life that has the ascendancy in your life? Lord Jesus, I want to pray for these people here right now. Lord, there's some who have given their life to you and yet realize that they've, they still have other things that are ultimate. There's some who have not given their life to you and realize the end of where that's going to lead them That because their things that they that they've put their faith in is, is really just going to lead to en- emptiness. And it's not just the fear of dying or committing suicide or or just being angry, but it, it is, but it's, it's the fear of ultimate darkness, which is separation from you. It's, it's, it's the desire to not live in that or to perpetuate that in our world, but to be a saint in light, not because I'm perfect, but because you have made me qualified. You've qualified me. You've redeemed me. You've paid for everything. So, Jesus, we ask you that this morning. We pray that you would minister to us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.